So let's go ahead and let's, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we want to thank you for bringing us together uh, to fellowship, to pray, uh, Lord, to love you and to feel your love on us. And Father, I thank you for the time of worship, just how it refreshed our hearts and also prepared our hearts to receive the seed of your word. And so, Father, I pray that we're ready uh, to hear you speak to us. And I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app, turn to Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude, 25 verses. Uh, we're going to look at verses 20 through 21. Two verses today is our text. We're now in part 6 of our series, Fight for the Truth. Everyone say that. Fight for the Truth. Again, Jude chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Uh, as always, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text which is verses 17 through 19. And you might remember that what Jude does, Jude exhorts, say exhorts, he exhorts his readers, the church, that's us, uh, that the presence of false teachers, the presence of apostates is certain. And he's given an exhortation to his readers to remember apostolic warnings, to remember apostolic prophecy. And he's asking his readers to allow back into their mind truths they had heard or been taught and to keep their mind alert and attentive to those truths. To remember the various biblical admonitions regarding false teachers. And so Jude exhorts his readers, the church, that's us, right? That the presence of false teachers is certain. And then he shows his readers, the church, us, that the portrait of the false teachers is clear. And it's very clear what Jude does. Jude shows us that, remember this, they are scoffers. Remember that? They are scoffers. Look at the text. They will be scoffers and mockers. Last week's text, scoffers or slash mockers. So those who actively engage in putting down the things of God, putting down his word, they treat the truth with scorn. They treat the truth with disrespect. They mock especially the moral law of God and the certainty of divine punishment on the disobedient. Then Jude shows us that they are sensual. He says they follow their own ungodly desires, slash, the King James says lust. Remember, the, the participle follow, the word follow, is a present tense, which means these men continually, listen now, continually go after irreverent, ir immoral, lustful things because that's the rule of their life. That's the way they live. That is their walk. And then he shows us that they are schismatic. Say that. Schismatic. The word schism is sometimes used to describe a torn garment. Uh, these false teachers, these apostates, and their teachings create divisions in the church, and they lead people. Listen now, you might remember this. They lead people out of true fellowship and into false fellowship. What they do, they tear the church apart. So Jude says they are scoffers, they are sensual, they are schismatic, and then they are spiritless. Remember that? They are spiritless. They follow mere natural, he says, natural instincts. And the source of their ungodly pronouncements and actions is the natural rather than the spiritual. You got that? The natural rather than the spiritual because they do not have the Spirit of God living inside of them. They must function on their natural soul power alone. 
Now, even though they are very religious, they are in a continual state of being lost. They're not saved. They're not saved. You got that? These false teachers, these apostates, they're not saved. They're not regenerated. They don't, listen now, have the spirit of the living God living inside of them. They're spiritually dead. Say that. They're spiritually dead. And then we wrapped up the the message with two lessons. And the first lesson last week that we ended the message was examine your pastors. Examine your leaders. And there are three tests. There's a test of character. Say character. How your pastors, how your leaders live. It's the test of character. What kind of character are they displaying in their lives? And then there's a test of creed. Say creed. What they believe. Not just how they live, character, but also creed, what they believe, their doctrine. Their doctrine. Are they adhering to the historical Christian faith? Are they standing firm in the essentials of the Christian faith? And then the test of converts. Say converts. What the effects of their preaching and teaching on those who they shepherd, what are the effects This is now of their preaching and teaching on those who they shepherd, those in the church. And then the second lesson was examine yourself, not just your pastors and your leaders, but also examine yourself and ask yourself the question, am I truly saved? It's a great question. Am I truly saved? Not doubting your salvation, but examining yourself to see if you truly display the characteristics of a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, does your life, your lifestyle, the way you live, demonstrate that you truly belong to Jesus? And you might remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So the question that I asked you last week was, do you pass or fail that test? And then this now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is Standing Strong. Everyone say that. Now say it like you're standing strong. Here we go. Standing Strong. And here in the text, Jude, what he does, and I love this, he encourages his readers, the church, that's us, friends, to have a healthy faith, to stand strong. Say, stand strong. In other words, how you and I, as believers, how to live, get this now, how to live in the midst of false teachers and apostates. And I would add this, how to live in the midst of an anti, this is now anti-God, ungodly culture. Right? Four points from the text, you ready? Say yes. Number one is building. Write that down, say that. Building. Now before we even read the text, I want you to notice that there's a shift, a transition here. Jude has been talking about who? False teachers, right? We've been on that for a while now, right? He's been talking about false teachers, about apostates, uh, these dreamers, right? These dreamers who, who defile the flesh, who, who disregard authority, right? Who despise dominions. They are, he says, they are spots. They are hidden reefs. Uh, they're clouds without rain. He says they're blown along by the wind. They're autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead, Right? They're wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. He says, wandering stars are grumblers, fault finders, slash complainers. 
Those who follow their own evil desires, who boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage, they are scoffers, they are sensual, they are schismatic, they are spiritless. Right? He's talking about them. So Jude, what he does, he now makes a shift, a transition here, and he turns from them, the apostates and false teachers, now to the believers. To us. Say, to us. So what Jude does, he takes a sad song, and now he makes it better. God, some of you didn't even get that. Are you guys with me? So follow me. If you're with me, say yes. Verse 28. Verse 28. That's the first part of verse 20. Jude makes a shift here. He says, but you, you, dear friends, I want to stop there. Say, but you, dear friends, or say, beloved. This is the third time, if you, if you read the whole chapter of Jude, this is the third time that, we, that we're reminded that Jude is writing to believers. And he first says it in verse 3, and then in verse 17, and right here in the text. The New American Standard Bible says, but you, beloved. Remember, this also means loved by God. So Jude is reminding them, right, the believers of their association. He's identifying with them as those dear to him, those loved of God, and those who are part of the family of God. If you're part of the family of God, say amen. So let's read the text. But you, let's read on. But you, dear friends, are beloved, loved of God. Build yourselves up. Say that. In your most holy faith. Now, first of all, notice the responsibility that we have as believers. Build yourselves up. Right? Build yourselves up. We are responsible for our own spiritual growth. Are you guys with me? To build ourselves up, right? Now, to build ourselves up in what? Well, he says this, in our most holy faith. Say holy faith. Well, what's that? What's holy faith? It's the reference, got to get this now, it's the reference to sound doctrine. A right understanding of the truth as it's revealed in Scripture in the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Most holy faith is the Word of God. Say, Word of God. His Word, say God's Word. This is now, friends, is the foundation of our Christian life. Good place to say amen. Back in verse 3, Jude says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Now listen to what he says. Contend for the faith, say faith, that was once for all entrusted or delivered to the saints. The most Listen now. The most holy faith is the same as the faith once delivered to the saints. That's the word of God. If you got it, say got it. That's the foundation of our Christian life. We grow on the foundation of the truth of God's word. That's how we build ourselves up. Now, if you're saved, say amen. The word of God, this is now, friends, is central. 
central, vital, central in building up our spiritual lives. We need to keep growing, keep growing, keep growing, keep growing spiritually, keep building ourselves up. Now listen, friends, spiritual growth doesn't just happen. It's not like you get saved, right? You get saved, and then after you get saved, you just sit there, stand still, and do nothing about your spiritual growth. Nuh-uh. Warren Wiersbe, who's now with the Lord, one of my favorite commentaries and pastors, wrote this. The Christian life must never stand still. If it does, it will go backward. A house left to itself falls apart. The false teachers slash apostates are in the business of tearing down, but the Christian must be involved in building up. First, his or her own spiritual life, and then his and her local assembly. So we have a personal responsibility to build, our, up ourselves, to build ourselves up in the word of God. You see, you and I are responsible to know what we believe. We are responsible, we are called to get God's word into our lives. Listen to what Paul told the Ephesian elders, I want you to write this down in Acts chapter 20. Write it down, verse 32. Acts 20, verse 32. He writes this, Paul, to the Ephesian elders. Now I commit you to God, listen to what he says, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. Did you get that? And the word, the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance, an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul wrote to Timothy, write this down, 2 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, write that down. Some of you might know this by heart. And Paul writes, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. I want to stop there, okay? How much of scripture is God-breathed? I can't hear you. All scripture, all scripture, all of the 66 books in the Bible, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament is what? God breathed, right? So if it's all God breathed, then you can't pick and choose what you want to believe from the Bible. Can I get an Amen. If you are a true believer, once sanctified, born again, then you will accept all, all in the Bible, all of it as true. As the, as the unadulterated, inerrant, infallible, absolute truth of God's word, absolute solid truth that cannot be amended, cannot be erased, cannot be or molded to suit each generation's lifestyle. And I want to say this too. And please hear my heart. If you don't believe every word in the Bible, if you don't, then don't call yourself a Christian. Please, don't call yourself a Christian. Are you guys with me? So back to what he wrote in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is what? God breathed, and he says this, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, God's word teaches us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, built up. Getting it? Are you getting it? For every 
good work. Write this down. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You might know this by heart. Beautiful portion of Scripture. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Got it? But whose delight is in the law? The law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. You know what that is? That's being saturated by the word. Say saturated. Then he says this. That person, the one saturated, saturated by the word, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do, prospers. That's being situated by the waters. Got it? So the result of being saturated, listen now, by the word, is being situated by the waters. So question, does that describe you? Does that describe you? If not, then make and take some time every day to fill and flood and immerse yourself in God's word. Delight in it. Meditate on it. Think about his word over and over and over again. Do you worry? Some of you worry, right? That's just negative meditation. <laughs> You're thinking about something over and over again. Think about God's word over and over again. And by the way, did you know that one chapter a day will take you through the entire New Testament in one year? Just one chapter a day. Three chapters a day. Three chapters a day will take you through the entire Bible in one year. So nurture your faith. Nurture your faith. Grow in knowing what you believe. Build yourselves up in the word of God. Got it? Now, friends, myself and Pastor Joe and the other teachers here, we can preach and teach our hearts out. But it do you no good if you don't go home and build yourselves up in it. Right? So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Study the word. Okay? Study the word. A stable, consistent, unshakable spiritual walk, friends, can only be built up and sustained through disciplined study of the Word of God. Now, by nature, we're not disciplined people, are we? We're not. We're not. So we got to work at it, work at it. Okay, we need to discipline ourselves to study the Word. We cannot allow ourselves to starve to death spiritually. Can't. Christians of a, of a Chinese church used to have a saying, no Bible, no breakfast. Huh. No Bible, no breakfast. Warren Wiersbe said this about that. If we followed that model in America, I wonder how many Christians would go hungry. Huh? Listen, church, in order to survive... Listen, Christians, in a time of false teachers and apostate, apostates in an anti Right? Anti-God, ungodly culture, it is absolutely essential, listen now, that we are built up in the Word of God so we can discern truth from error. Right from wrong. So, build yourselves up. If you have not spent time in the Word of God, spend time in the Word of God. Please spend time in the Word of God. Not just for research, okay, but for renewal. 
Are you with me? Not just for research, to fill yourself with knowledge, but for renewal. Got it? Say building. Number two is praying. Write that down, praying. Look at verse 20 be the second part of verse 20. And pray in the Holy Spirit. In the who? Now, what does that mean? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Well, some people, some people's interpretation of this text is praying in tongues. Now, praying in tongues or praying in the Holy Spirit can involve, praying in the Holy Spirit can involve speaking in tongues. I don't speak in tongues. Um, some of you here do. Uh, you heard me say I'm less concerned about speaking in an unknown tongue and more concerned about controlling the tongue that I do know. Right? And by the way, friends, in our last series, Undivided, from the book of 1 Corinthians, in part 26, entitled In the Church, we study the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues and how it works, how it really works in the church. Now, I don't believe that speaking in tongues is the primary, primary interpretation in this text. And let me tell you why. And I want you to write this down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 through 30. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30. Paul says this regarding gifts of the Spirit. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And so what Paul does, Paul uses a formula which in the original language presents a rhetorical question that requires a negative answer. And the obvious answer is what? No, not all do, right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5, write that down. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, Paul says this. I wish, he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. And the obvious implication is that some didn't. Right? Some didn't. So follow me here. If, 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 if the primary interpretation in this text is to pray in tongues, that would mean that some believers wouldn't be able to pray in the Holy Spirit. It would exclude some believers. And I don't believe that's what you're saying here. Right? Are you guys with me? So, so, so what does it mean to, to pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go back because we're going to look in context, right? Let's go back to verse 19. Follow me now. Verse 19, if you're there, say amen. And Jude is talking about who? The, the apostates and the false teachers. And he says this, these are men who divide you, who follow what? Mere natural instincts who do not what? Come on, do not have the Spirit. In other words, they're not saved. They're not regenerated. The Holy Spirit is not in them. But what does Jude say? Next, he says, but you, dear friends, you get that? Beloved or loved by God, build yourselves up upon the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is this, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in them, the apostates and the false teachers, but the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you have the privilege, because the Spirit lives in you, you have the privilege, privilege excuse me, of thoughtfully moving into the presence of God and communicating, listen, with God by means of the Spirit of God that indwells each of you. So pray in the Holy Spirit. 
So to pray in the Holy Spirit simply means to pray under the direction, under the influence, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In other words, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And friends, we, listen now, are to give careful thought to what we are praying as we go into the presence of God, friends. The Holy Spirit will guide us as we go into the presence of God and direct us, and it will be in accordance to His will, not my will, not your will. Can I get an amen? So you ready for the lesson? Really simple. Here we go. Pray. Pray. Say that. Pray. Pray. You see, friends, the power for building, say power. Now say it like you have power. Say power. The power for building our Christian lives and maintaining a spiritual foundation is rooted in prayer. It's very simple. Follow me here now. No prayer, no power. Say no prayer, say no power. Question, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Let me ask you this. How committed are you to daily praying? Think about it. How committed are you to daily praying? Prayer, okay? I'm not talking about a simple prayer at bedtime or at the dinner table. But honest, heartfelt, burden, burden prayer. Listen, friends, there is no limit. Say no limit to what we could see God do in our lives and in the life of this church if we would get serious about praying. Every Sunday at 8.15 a.m. in the fourth and fifth grade room, right when you walk in the sanctuary, right to your left, we have a group of people praying from 8.15 to about 8.45 or so. And we need more men there. We've got a group of women that are there just praying for the church, praying for families, praying for your kids, praying for your marriage, praying for a lot of things. And so I try to be there as much as I can. And so I'm inviting you. Let's get together. Let's pray more. Take some time to pray because there's power in prayer. And by the way, parents, and I'm here with you, okay, because I have two kids who are who've fallen astray, who walked away from God. Okay, I thank God for my one son who's the worship leader here and youth director. Okay, but the two have walked away from God. And I want, I want to tell you, because you might have some kids who've walked away from God. But I want to tell you, you, keep praying for them. They can escape your presence, but they, can't, they cannot escape your prayers. Amen? You keep praying for them. You don't give up. You keep praying for them. Push, push until, pray until something happens. There's power in prayer, right? Now, I want to say this. This world, because you know we live in a very wicked world, right? This world may find a way to close our churches or take away our Bibles, but they cannot stop us from praying. Can't. Can't. And by the way, let me say this. The Word of God and prayer go together. Go together. You see, when we read the Bible, that's God speaking to us. And when we pray, that's us speaking to God. And we need both to balance out our spiritual life. Now, if all we do is read the Bible and not pray, friends, we have a lot of light but no heat. And if all we do is pray and not read the Bible, we have a lot of heat but no light. Okay? We need power and we need knowledge. Both. Amen?
Now I want you to try something, okay? I want you to try something. Every day, just try this. You might have your own routine, but just try this. Every day, spend 15 minutes speaking to God. 15 minutes praying. That's prayer. And then 15 minutes, God speaking to you. Read his word. And then 15 minutes telling someone else about him. Try that. Amen? And I tell you, if you do that every day, you will, you, it'll be very hard for you to stray from God because you're fixed and you're focused on him. Amen? Praying. Say building. Say praying. Number three is keeping. Write that down. Say that. If you're still with me, say amen. Keeping. Verse 21a. Write that down. Keeping. Verse 21a. The first part of verse 21. Keep. Then Jude says, keep yourselves in God's love. Wow. Keep yourselves in God's love. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, first, let me tell you what it doesn't mean, okay? It doesn't mean that we work for our salvation. It doesn't mean that you and I work for our salvation. Jude's not saying that our salvation depends on our effort. Got it? He's not saying keep yourself saved because you can't, friends. You didn't save you. Are you with me? Let's go back to to verse 1. Because I want you to remember what Jude said back in verse 1. Let's go back to verse 1. He says, to those who have been called, called, loved by God the Father, and kept or preserved by Jesus Christ. Kept, preserved. You get that? Kept, preserved, right? Now jump to verse 24, okay? Almost at the very end of the chapter. Verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. If he saved you, he can keep you saved. Can I get amen? Okay, also let me tell you, it doesn't mean that God will never stop loving us. Romans 8.35, write it down. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And, and, and the obvious answer is no. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. Now, if you're saved, say amen. God loves you, amen? God loves us, but God doesn't love it when we sin. You get that? He doesn't love it when we're pursuing worldliness. He doesn't love it when we're irreverent or immoral, but he does love it when he sees you and I loving him and loving his word and loving people. And by the way, he loves us even when we're unlovely. Even when we mess up. Even when we're disobedient. He still loves us. Philip Yancey said this, we need to let it soak in that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. Or nothing we can do to make God love us less. He loves you, period. Max Lucado said this, God loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to let you stay that way. So what does keeping yourselves in God's love mean? I I did a lot of research, a lot of study. And so I I believe it means two things. First of all, it means living in obedience to God. Say that. Living in obedience. It's a call. Listen now, it's a call for obedience. Now I want to prove it to you, okay? And I want you to write these scriptures down. 
John 14, 21. John chapter 14, verse 21. Says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Do you get that? The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. John 14, 15. Write that down. John 14, 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commands. John 15, verses 9 through 10. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. Jesus says, as a father has loved me, so I loved you. Now, this is what he says, now remain, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So it's a call for obedience. It's, it's living in obedience. Second, second of all, it means this. Second of all, keeping ourselves in God's love means having, I love this, an everlasting preoccupation with God. An everlasting preoccupation with God. We are called to an everlasting preoccupation with Him. Got it? In other words, it's keeping ourselves in a place where we're experiencing the love of God. It's keeping ourselves in a place where we're enjoying the love of God. The Living Bible, loves, I love it, renders it just like, like this. Stay always within the boundaries where the love of God can reach and bless you. Now, if you're safe, say amen. If you love God, say amen. You love God, right? You love God, right? Now, I'm not questioning your love for him, okay? I'm not questioning your love for him, but let me ask you this. Is that love what it used to be? Is that love for God what it used to be? Do you desire that closeness you once had? Huh? And perhaps, just perhaps, I don't know, just perhaps, friends, we have grown as Ephesus was in, in Revelation 2.4. Revelation 2.4, when Jesus commanded John to write to them and said, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken, not lost, but you have forsaken your first love. What does first love mean anyways? First love means simply the priority love. Priority love. It means the one that takes first place. It means this preeminent love. The priority love, the one that takes first place, preeminent love. So question, that being said, question, is God your priority love? Does God take first place in your life? Listen now, friends, does your love for him surpass, preeminent, surpass all others? And if the answer is yes, and I hope it's yes, that's the attitude that you and I need toward God. He must come first. Say, he must come first. And sadly, just being honest, sadly, there are some Christians who have gotten to the place that they love their family, their career, their possessions, their denomination, their ministry, their activities, their traditions, even sports, more than they love God. There are those who are, are busy in the things of God. And listen now, listen now. There are those who are busy in the things of God, but their hearts are no longer burning 
for God. Their passion has fizzled away. Why? Because they have left their first love. They have drifted away from their devotion to God. If you're saved, say amen. Jesus needs to be our priority love. Our first love, listen, our first love, our priority love, our first love in our hearts and our first love in our homes. There must be a desire to spend some quality time with him each and every single day. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. write that down. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind slash, with all your strength. In other words, we are to love him with our whole being. Everything. All that I have. All that I am. I'm going to love God. I'm going to be so preoccupied with him. My thoughts are of him. I want to get busy for him. I want to speak to him. I want him to speak to me. I want to be preoccupied with God, with my whole being. Here's the lesson. Are you ready? Examine our priorities. Examine our priorities. Why? To see just where we have placed God. You know how you can tell if God is your first priority, your first love? You know how? If you're walking and living in obedience to him and preoccupied with him, that's keeping yourselves in God's love. People ought to see you and I just busy about God. So filled with God that, man, we just, that's all we do is talk about him. We love him. To know him and make him known. Is he the priority in your life? Not, if he's down in number eight, you need to make him number one. Right? Number four, are you ready? Number four, waiting. Say waiting. Building, praying, keeping, and waiting. Now, before we even get into the, the verse here, Jude has already said, I want you to get this. This is so awesome. Okay. Has already said to pray in the what? Holy. Right? To pray in the what? Holy Spirit. And then he says, keep yourselves in whose love? Holy Spirit. God's love. And here in verse 21b, stay with me now. Verse 21b, he says, as you wait, say wait, for the mercy of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit. God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, there's a trinity. There's a trinity, right? Love it. Just want to point that out to you. So he says, verse 21b, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to what? Eternal life. What Judah's referring to here, he's referring to the return of Christ, waiting earnestly, expecting Christ's return. In other words, we, we should see the rapture, say the rapture, as a blessed, merciful event in which Jesus comes to retrieve us. I mean, don't you wish he'd come today? Okay. 
When you're safe, say amen. And now, if we, let's be honest, if we knew for certain that Jesus would return tomorrow, I mean, if he gave you heads up, I'm going to return tomorrow. Okay, it came in the newspaper, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. We would live much differently today. Wouldn't we? Well, the truth is, he might come tomorrow. He, he just might come tomorrow. So, so live each day as if, listen now, as if it might be your last day. Because we have no guarantee of, of another day. And, and there's still so much to be done for the kingdom of God. And Jude's point is this, that the false teachers, that the apostates, and all those who deny Jesus have nothing but judgment and eternal damnation to anticipate. But we, as believers, followers of Christ, we can anticipate, amen, Jesus' return in glory. And one day, say one day, he will step out of the clouds just as he said he would. And all the work and trials that we have endured here on this earth will all be worthwhile when we see him as he is. You see, we are a people of hope. Not, not, not wishful thinking, but it's hope anchored in truth. Hope, say hope, hope. We are people of hope. We, we know he's coming back. We know he's coming back for us. It's not wishful thinking. It's like, well, I think he's, no, no, no. The hope is, yes, he is. Certainty. Amen? So I want you to write this down, Titus 2.13. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. And we spend a lot of time in that verse in our series from the book of Titus. While we wait for the blessed hope. Who's your blessed hope? Jesus Christ, his return. While we wait, say wait, for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Live each day in anticipation of Jesus' return. Live each day in anticipation of Jesus' return. We ought to wake up each morning. Seriously, friends, be real here. Wake up each morning thinking this could be the day. I mean, this could be the day. Now, if we really believe that, and we should, we should, as believers should believe that, then it's time to start living as if we believed it. And you see, waiting, waiting, say waiting, Waiting for his return is active, not passive, right? It's active, not passive. So as you and I, as believers, as we're waiting for his return, we should be building up ourselves in the word of God. We should be praying in the Holy Spirit. We should be keeping ourselves in God's love, right? As we're waiting for him, we should be serving and giving and witnessing, and worshiping, and loving others, and loving Jesus, and living like we love him. Because waiting for him is living for him. That's standing strong. Wait. But as you're waiting, live for him. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for your word.